In the last episode, we considered the support structures for students with IEPs, 504s, and the like in college. This episode will extend the concept of support to the general student population. One of the best ways to support students at college in their stress so they can get better grades, feel energetic and focused, and actually enjoy the college experience? I'm joined today by college success coach, Dale Troy. Dale founded her company, Crush College Stress, in 2018 to help transform the college experience for students who are experiencing difficulty by providing them new habits and tools to be able to thrive in higher education. With an expert college coach in place, students can learn to manage their stress, be more productive, get better grades, enjoy extracurricular life, and excel in their social lives. She provides peace of mind to parents, ease of access to students, and an array of strategies for students to best manage their time, including a depth of knowledge on wellness practices, such as healthy eating, exercise, and time management. Dale has an undergraduate degree from Yale and a graduate degree from Yale Law School and brings a decade's worth of experience in coaching and a lifetime's worth of experience in raising her three daughters. Dale, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about your career history and how you got into coaching. You have a kind of an interesting career trajectory as you went to Yale Law School and now find yourself in consulting. So tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Well, it does sound a little odd if you just looked on paper, but I kind of view it as the natural progression because I really wanted to go to law school. I worked really hard in college, so I I know all about the stress of the college experience. And in fact, I was super stressful. My mom tells me now that she doesn't know how I've made it through college. So I know how to overcome a lot of challenges. So I went to law school thinking that was it. And I did not like practicing law because it was all about documents. And I really like helping people. From there, I became a headhunter for lawyers, helping lawyers find jobs that they really liked more. And that was really a coaching job. So then I was really in the coaching role. And I loved that. I did that for 10 years. Then I was having my kids and it became obvious to me that I could not be a headhunter that was requiring so much of my time. And I decided to do something I could do from home, but I also cared a lot about. And I became a health coach because I cared so much about how you live your life, how that affects everything. And I, I knew that I was a stressed person and I wanted to figure out how to be less stressed and how to just feel better physically. And I wanted to also be able to impart that to my kids. So as they went to college, you know, I, I, as you know, there's this increase in stress and anxiety on college campuses. Hmm. And I was kind of inserting myself into that and helping them get through college. All three of my daughters went to Yale. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're a total Yale family. I met my husband. Anyway, so some friends of mine said, no, your daughters are doing okay, but my daughter is not. Can you, you know, and I know you're a health coach. Can, can you help them? So I said, sure, I'll try. It was before Zoom. I was on the phone with this one particular girl from Boston College, and I loved working with her. It just felt so good about being able to help her just tweak some things that to me were so simple, but to her, she had no idea. Like she, she wanted to be a vegan and she was, wasn't eating enough protein and she didn't know what to do. And mm. so, she, you know, she was feeling well. She also wasn't getting enough sleep. I mean, everything, nothing was really working very well. So 
from that experience, which only lasted maybe a, a month or so, she started feeling so much better. I felt good about what I was doing. And it, it occurred to me that there are a lot of kids on college campus that don't have access to my background and they're kind of floundering, not feeling well, not knowing what to do. Maybe they don't feel bad enough to look for a doctor. So that's when I decided, you know what, I, maybe I could feel a need. So I, I was focused really on the healthy living aspects because of my health coach background. But over time, as I work with more kids, I realized it's, it's more than that. So now I have a whole program called College Success Formula that where one part is healthy, healthy living. Got it. Wow. So that's very interesting track. So you have a checklist that you have on your website that I saw as far as wellness. And it seems to be almost like a first step for you. Do you consider that kind of a foundational piece of your coaching for college students? Well, as we were just talking about, I started out really focusing on like the healthy habits. So that's what this really is. It's like seven habits to crush college stress. So that was like one of my original freebies to, to give people because I thought, you know, this is at least get them in the right frame of mind to realize that what they're doing daily is going to really affect how they feel in college. Mm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. in terms of my whole program, the college success formula, that's, it's only really one part of it, but it's a, it's a big, it's an important part. So I've, I've kept it on my website. Okay. So, I mean, you know, you got this checklist, but what do you sort of do when you encounter a new student? Take, take me through the sort of the first steps when you start off with a new, new client like that. Well, I, I market, so to speak, to parents. I have a Facebook group for parents that's called College Parent Support Community. Oh. And I have, I, have, I have something like 580 maybe wow. people now. So really? it's grown over time. Um, I love the group. So I'm in there helping parents deal with what they're dealing with with their college students. But I work with the college student, not with the parent. So what basically happens if a parent decides they want to talk to me about what's going on with their child, I will help them understand how I can work with the child. And then I meet the child to make sure the child is on board and is going to want to work with me. Luckily, that has never been a problem, but you never know, right? Right. Well, I mean, they have to be, they have to be engaged and yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So my first actual meeting with the child my student, I give them a survey that kind of lets me know where they are now with their habits and helps me figure out, you know, what I really need to focus on. Because I, I have, I call them skill sets. I have like five different skill sets that I work with in this college success formula. And there may be one or two that are really more important for them. So I want to kind of figure that out right in the beginning. Like I just started working with a girl who's in California and her whole focus is I, I need to get good grades because I'm in a community college and I want to transfer to a four-year college. And so it's all about the grades and she knows she's bad at time management. So that's really our focus right now. But, you know, other things are going to definitely come into play and I'm checking in with her about her exercise and all that kind of stuff. My mindset is, She's got to get good grades and we've got to you know, make sure that she stays on top of everything. You sort of alluded to this already, but would you consider like diagnosis part of the early uh, phases of your work? Yeah. I mean, the questionnaire that I give them is really 
my version of a diagnostic test. But, you know, I actually, after they do the questionnaire, I'll go through each question and get more information about it. Like, you know, if she says she, on a scale of zero to 10, she's a four with time management, I'm going to delve into that deeper and find out why is that? What's happening? What's the problem? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Well, you alluded to one girl there, but are there any other stories of like triumph or perhaps even failure that you'd care to share? I have a lot of triumphant stories. I imagine. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> you know, that's why I love doing this. One that stands out to me is a girl who had just started college, you know, right after COVID began last fall. And she went to her university in North Carolina and like, probably within two weeks, they sent everyone home. So here she was really excited about starting college. She was in Virginia and she's doing college from her bedroom. So she was not a happy camper. And her mom hired me because she knew it was going to be really hard for her to do online classes. And she was concerned about it. So, and I will say the girl agreed to work with me, but I got the feeling like she wasn't really, she was just was an un- unhappy, you know, she was wearing her sweatshirt with a hood and she was kind of, you know, didn't, yeah. look, didn't yeah. look, no smiles or anything. And somehow I got her to open up and by like the third session, she was, had her hair all done and she was just oh, wow. happier. Right. And I think it's because somebody cared about her. I was giving her like great tools for work using a planner and staying on top of her schedule. And I helped her figure out how she could have some social interaction without actually being with people. Wow. And, that's quite a magic trick. Yeah. Right. But, you know, she kind of thought like, well, I'm just stuck here. I can't see anyone. And, you know, we figured out how to make that her feel better about that. She was actually an athlete. When I started talking to her, she wasn't doing anything. And then she realized, oh, yeah, actually, I could go to the gym. And we fit that in her schedule and all sorts of things. So what was remarkable, actually, was that she told me, I didn't want to go back to that college. I actually want to go to Virginia Tech, which was a much more difficult college to get into. And I'm like, okay, let's see if we can get there. Well, she got one A after another. She was like doing super well. And the good news was she she actually transferred and she's there now. She got in. I, I I was just like amazed. She was like so determined, so persistent, and really worked hard to do it to get it. She was also working on the side. She was a hostess at a restaurant. I mean, she she really made a su- supreme effort. And now she's living in a department with some girls. Virginia Tech. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's more social, right? So are you still working with her? Is that like a once a week kind of thing? or I'm not working with her now, but I'm in touch with her and her mom. And I told them, you know, if she feels like she needs anything, just let me know. You know, in a case like that, I probably, you know, my program is like a seven week program. In a situation like that, I mean, I would probably just, you know, come up with something that worked for her and continue to support her. You know, maybe she doesn't need once a week, maybe it's less. Um, I'm flexible. One thing that stuck out to me in the first segment with Dale was the concept of diagnosis and how important that is in working with students, both personally and academically. If you don't get an accurate read on a student from the onset, you could be employing all the wrong strategies and really not get anywhere. Yes, you can adjust on the fly, 
but it's a lot harder to do that than to just get an accurate read from the onset. I like her system, the seven categories of wellness, and I think structure of that kind is very important for those reasons of diagnosis, to give that some kind of underlying basis to operate off of. What do you think makes transition into higher education so difficult? And do you notice any patterns with kids that struggle to make it? Okay. I think it really starts at home. I think the way that we've been raising kids, including myself, my, like my generation where there's, you know, the college kids are a little older now, we have been too involved in our kids' lives. We haven't given them enough independence. And because of that, they, they really, you know, they don't think of themselves as independent functioning people. They're too reliant on us to give them advice, to do things for them, you know, call the teacher in high school because there's a problem, arrange for the tutor instead of having the child do that. I mean, I think my advice would be for parents to gradually give, the, give their child more and more responsibility for themselves. One of them is, you know, when, you, when somebody learns how to drive a car, you don't just hand them the keys and say, go ahead. You know, there's months and months of preparation and, you know, we're not preparing our kids to, to do that, to be on their own like that. So you sort of touched on it already, but, you know, are there any of the thoughts that you had, I guess, on the unique challenges that college students face now because of the pandemic? Well, I think they're getting on campus already feeling, as we've said, like burnt out and stressed. So they're, they're kind of starting at a, at a deficit. It's going to take a lot more effort on their part to you know, just feel okay. So it's just, it's just a, uh, just a harder situation. I do think that like one of the sophomores that I know that I worked with as freshmen, they're, they're pretty excited because they feel like now we can have more of a college experience. So I think they're in general doing a little bit better than the freshmen because, you know, they're like, oh, wow, now I get to really see what college is like because it's not going to be as bad as last year. Right, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Socially, definitely, I think there's they've missed a lot. But I think they're excited about this year and hopeful that it will be a positive experience for them. What are some of the techniques that you have for students to cope with these sort of adversities? I take it at some of the, the wellness practices that you mentioned earlier. Is there anything that's been sort of particularly successful in, in dealing with that pandemic fatigue that you're talking about? Yeah, I actually think the key. I would say is the time management piece, which is also part of my success formula. Because I think what I'm trying to do with the time management is make them realize that they do have control. You know, when you feel like everything's out of control, like it is now, that's a really bad feeling. So I, I want to give them as much control as I can so that they, they have structure because there's very little structure in college, as you know. Compared, especially compared to high school. So the time management piece really involves how to set up a schedule, how to stick to it, how to like tweak it if it's not working well, you know, how to get, and it helps them get everything done so that they feel good about themselves. They can accomplish what they do every day. And all the kids who have really embraced time management, and I use a physical planner, every child or student who has accepted that and done a good job at it, has done amazingly well, has you know improved their grades, felt better, got more confident. And then I have so many parents saying, I've been telling them for years to use a planner and they won't do it. 
Well, you're their parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, if more parents could really understand that, that it's not that I'm telling them some rocket science information that parent doesn't know. It's the coaching relationship. It's, you know, trusting somebody else, not their parent. Yeah. What do you think is going to be different about this year? I guess this is more of a prediction question. You know, what are you anticipating for 21, 22? Yeah, this school year. Um, this, this is, you know, this is difficult, obviously, but I, I'll throw out some thoughts. As long as the Delta variant, nothing like dramatic happens along the lines of the Delta variant or other variants, I imagine that, you know, colleges are doing as much as they can to maintain some kind of social interaction and give kids more of a college experience. And they're really working hard. And, you know, most of them have vaccine mandates and mask wearing and all that. So I think uh, luckily the kids have gotten used to the masks. So it's not like a novelty now. It's just, you know, mm. just accepted more. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, as long as nothing dramatically happens different, I, I see it being like an okay year. You know, like a, a, a much better year than last year. And I think, you know, along the lines of what we were talking about with parents giving their kids more independence, I really encourage parents not to, like, if they are hearing about homesickness and, you know, don't rush in to save their kids because that's just going to perpetuate the problem. Like, you have to give, I think you have to give your kids some opportunity to struggle a little bit and they will get stronger. They'll become more resilient. But if you're always saving them, it's it's just, they're not growing. Something that stuck out to me in the second section with Dale is what parents can do at home to prepare kids for the situations they're gonna run into in college and to create more independence and autonomy. I think she's right that there is far too much coddling, I guess, that's happened on a societal level. So letting go is key for parents, which is counterintuitive, but they're not gonna be independent if we don't do that. Of the skills you teach now, which do you think are gonna be the most applicable to college students in five to 10 years from now? Well, I'm all about the time management and using a planner. So I, I, I think that's never going to go away. And, you know, and it's not just for college, it's for your whole life. You know, and, and I do think that's something that middle schools and high schools could be doing more with. They may hand their kids planners at the beginning of the year, but they're not teaching them how to use it and, you know, recommending that they use it and checking on them. And, you know, but if they did, like, imagine how good that would be when they got to college whole new thing for college students to try to schedule their own day. So that definitely. And then probably also all the stress management that I help kids with, because that's just something you need for life. If you're always feeling stressed and you're at that high level, that's what turns into anxiety and depression. And you need to know how to bring it back down so that you can function well. Sure. How do you think the college experience will shift? Five years from now, you have any speculation about that? Yeah, there have been a lot of articles about hybrid learning and you know how that can save money for colleges. A lot of smaller colleges, in particular, are struggling. And I've actually read an article recently about Unity College in Maine, and because of their flexible structure, they've been able to increase their student body from something like 500 students to 1,600 students this year because they offer a lot of different 
options and they're saving money. Their, their tuition went down. I mean, a lot of factors come into play. So I think there will be more hybrid learning, but, you know, I guess it remains to be seen. I mean, there could be a percentage of the population that doesn't care about the residential experience. Maybe it's the population that, you know, wants to get a job after high school, but still wants to go to college. You know, I could imagine that where they could you know, do both because they don't have to be on the campus. And so I, I think that there's going to be just more, more awareness of there could be different versions of college. It doesn't have to be like this one thing, the residential, you know, format. So, yes, I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Here are my key takeaways from my conversation with Dale Troy. Number one is how critical these skills are that we were talking about. If we're going to talk about it in terms of stress management, absolutely. Your ability to get good sleep, to eat well to conduct some sort of mindfulness for yourself, to be able to manage your life socially, extracurricularly, absolutely critical. You can be a genius, right? I mean, you can be a twice exceptional Einsteinian genius and you're not gonna get anywhere if you don't have those other skills developed at least to some degree. And I guess time management does stick out. You know, if you're chaotic and, and disorganized, you're gonna be late. You're not gonna show up in the right places. You're not gonna bring the right things. And 90% of success is showing up, right? So that is absolutely critical. So the key really is A, how to teach these things and B, probably far more important, getting them to actually buy into it. Because when you're talking about a kid who's 19 or 20, it's not like they don't know like sleep is good for you. Very infrequently, do you encounter someone who suspects that not sleeping is not a big deal? They know. It's a matter of developing the self-discipline and defeating this notion that they're invulnerable to these weaknesses, which is difficult. It's, it sounds easy on the surface, but anyone who's interacted with a teenager knows that if you want to teach them something, it's got to come with their own free will attached to it. Like they have to discover it themselves, they have to present it in a way where they're maintaining their sort of autonomy and dignity in the process. We want it to be something where their personality sort of proliferates as a byproduct of them picking up something and being a part of them. You know, you really don't want to feed it to them because then their identity becomes about you and that's like the opposite of what you want, right? So that is the key though, the buy-in. I certainly look for tactics, continue to focus on ways to produce buy-in. Another thing that we kept on circling back around to is the support in developing a planning system, how critical it is to have a teacher or some sort of educational personnel doing that. I would say, and this is something we didn't really bring up in our conversation too much, but it is very difficult for teachers or any sort of educational personnel to provide a planner and then like oversee the student using that planner. It's not practical. I mean, even if you have an advisory system like that as well. When I worked at Taft, you know, my classes were tiny. I had a class of six one time, you know, anywhere through 15 and an advisory of about 10. But if there's no incentive for me to track their planners and make sure that they're 
taking care of their responsibilities and writing them down and managing their lives. I mean, it's a very comprehensive sort of skill. Uh, I couldn't possibly track that for Dean students in my class or the 10 in my advisory. You know, I'm busy managing my own life too at the same time, which could be a challenge in and of itself. So I think it's very important if you have the means to utilize some sort of extracurricular personnel to help with this really fundamental and critical skill in a few areas, in a few applications, right? Not just getting the assignments in, but feeling in control of your life. And it's also, it's a skill that doesn't just apply to school. I mean, it's, it's something that applies for the rest of their lives, no matter what they get into.